Hello, I'm Deborah Howell, the host of School Refusal, a special podcast series from Rogers Behavioral Health. This is episode three of our four-part series where we'll look at how to tackle school refusal. I'd like to welcome Dr. David Jacoby, a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in using cognitive behavioral therapy for the treatment of OCD and anxiety disorders. Dr. Jacoby serves as the lead psychologist of child and adolescent CBT services for Rogers Behavioral Health. Welcome, Dr. Jacoby. Hi, Deborah. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Now, my first question to you is, what are some of the mental health issues that contribute to school refusal? There certainly are a variety of mental health issues that we're <clears throat> concerned with and certainly relate to a child, you know, refusing or really unable to go to school. Probably the most common of these are the anxiety disorders, you know, which I'll talk about in greater detail. Uh, depressive disorders, certainly just feeling depressed or other kind of mood-related concerns are usually fairly typical. And probably less prevalent but still significant are things like um, autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit disorders, um, and certainly in some cases either diagnosed or even undiagnosed learning disabilities. So what are some of the signs and symptoms that parents and teachers need to look out for that would indicate when a child is struggling with anxiety, mood, or ASD? Sure, and certainly that's a that's a big question, and certainly one of the things that we try to convey to parents is, you know, when is it a problem? When does it go from sort of a normal anxiety or normal changes in mood to the point where it becomes a disorder? And I think it's normal, you know, for kids to have periods of, of nervousness before an exam or if they're doing, you know, certain extracurricular activities, oftentimes, um, you know, the anxiety that results from that is what we would say is transient, so it may only last until that project is over or the game is over or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Where we find there are problems with both sort of depression and anxiety is when um, there tends to be more distress associated with the issue. The problem tends to be more chronic. So in other words, I'm depressed across multiple situations. I'm anxious across multiple situations. There's interference in in functioning. So I'm not doing as well in school. I'm not able to perform as well. I may have difficulty interacting with my family members or, you know, beginning to struggle with social interactions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the child, whether it's depression or anxiety, will then kind of learn to avoid situations that provoke these kinds of negative emotions. And oftentimes that's when the school refusal becomes an issue is they just can't seem to deal with it anymore in a way that allows them to get to school to be successful at school. Absolutely. So, you know, so in terms of things, so for example, if we kind of walk through some of the anxiety disorders, the ones that we see more commonly that tend to be associated with school refusal are things like generalized anxiety disorder. It's otherwise known as the worry excessive worry about a variety of things that most kids are concerned about, but it's just too much of that. It's really difficult for the kid to kind of turn that worry off. So these kids can tend to be kind of perfectionistic. They really want to do well. They may spend a great deal of time on homework assignments and preparing for exams uh, because failure to them is essentially not an option. Um, And it can become problematic if, for example, they miss school for some reason. They get behind. They can't really catch up in a way that they want to. They can't perform, do their homework assignments to the standard that they've set for themselves. 
Um, we also see kids struggle with social anxiety disorder, so difficulty interacting with other kids or even teachers for fear that I might do or say something that would be humiliating or embarrassing. So again, just easier to stay away from those situations that provoke that. Some of our kids have real panic, panic attacks yeah. in school. Anytime I'm in a situation where I'm around other people, I have this fear that my body is going to go into that fight or flight response and I'm going to feel my heart racing and you know hard for me to catch my breath. And I worry about embarrassing myself or passing out and not getting the help that I you know deserve or would need in that moment. Other things that come up as well, Deborah, are things like obsessive compulsive disorder. Some of these kids really struggle with being around other kids for fear of things like contamination, not being able to use the restrooms at school for fear, again, of germs or something of that nature. So there's multiple different anxiety disorders, certainly, that contribute to that um, school refusal behavior. Uh, there are also mood disorders, right? So major depressive disorder, for example, where the child would experience you know, that sort of subjective sense of depressed mood, not enjoying things that they would normally enjoy. There can be changes in their sleep, not being able to you know, fall asleep or stay asleep, for example. Um, feelings of worthlessness, feeling tired, low energy, poor concentration, and certainly at times suicidal thoughts. All of those things obviously lead to that child just not feeling like themselves, not feeling like they can handle school and everything that goes along with school. So they understandably um, decide to stay home, maybe isolate, withdraw from multiple areas of their lives. My next question to you then is, why is it so critical to address the mental health issue in relation to school refusal behaviors? You know, certainly there are, you know, kids for whom they may miss a day or two for various reasons, but they're generally, you know, able to resume attending school without too much difficulty. When we see that the child is, you know, refusing school for multiple days per week every week, or in the case of many of the kids that we see, they've just completely stopped going to school, there's typically something connected to that, right? So either something has happened at school, maybe it's bullying, for example, that's really, uh, you know, led to them not wanting to go. But more often than not, what we're seeing is either an anxiety-related disorder or a mood disorder. And the school refusal is just sort of a manifestation of that. But it's very likely that they're not functioning very well in other areas of their lives. So at home with friendships, just their general quality of life is not you know, going very well for them. Right. So we really want to treat that underlying anxiety or mood disorder or whatever it is, not only to increase the likelihood they're going to be able to get back to school and benefit, but just to overall improve their general quality of life and functioning, right? Because it is distressing, it is impairing, and we want to make sure that we're addressing that sort of underlying reason for that school refusal behavior. Right. And what types of treatments are now helpful for teens dealing with these types of mental health struggles? And there's a variety of really good treatments that are what we would call evidence-based or empirically supported, meaning we've got a lot of good data, a lot of good research that supports the, you know, the efficacy of these particular treatments, meaning they work for the majority of kids who are dealing with these anxiety and mood disorders. The sort of kind of big umbrella heading, Deborah, is what we call cognitive behavior therapy, which really just means that cognitive is the thoughts, my ways of thinking, 
for example, in, in terms of anxiety and depression, those are generally unhelpful kinds of thoughts or what we would call maladaptive thoughts. So, for example, in the world of anxiety disorders, that could be thinking the worst. If I don't do well on an exam, my life is ruined. If I yeah. make a mistake when I'm giving a presentation in class, the other kids are really going to just hate me and laugh at me and I'll never be able to you know, mm. come back to school ever again. Um, the behavioral part, generally for both anxiety and depression, involves some for form of avoidance. When I avoid situations that make me anxious, it does make me feel better in the short term, but it leads to long-term difficulties, right? Because my world essentially begins to shrink over time, right? I stop doing things, going places, anything that triggers my anxiety or, uh, in the case of mood, anything that sort of um, just makes me feel better in the moment is what I'm going to try to engage in. Mm -hmm. but those are generally maladaptive ways of, of obviously dealing with these situations and these disorders. So in terms of anxiety disorders, there's a couple things we can use making use of that cognitive behavioral treatment. We can do what's called thought challenging. Let's go through and systematically look at those ways of thinking and see if we can find a more kind of balanced way of thinking about things. And when people are able to do that, they generally don't feel as anxious. Uh, but we can also do something that's really valuable, and that's called exposure therapy. So gradually confronting the situations, the people, or the objects that provoke my anxiety. And what we find is that when people do that gradually and systematically over time, the things that kind of bring on their anxiety tend to uh, improve, right? So the classic right. example, Deborah, would be, you know, a child who's afraid of, of dogs. They, they do their best to avoid situations where dogs are. They see a dog, they run away. Um, and what we do with exposure is to slowly and gradually expose them, for example, to different kinds of dogs, different kinds of situations, getting closer and closer to dogs, and eventually they learn that the majority of dogs are safe and they can handle it. The same sort of thing applies with our anxiety disorders, and in a different way, we can also apply that uh, process to mood disorders. So, for example, in the world of mood disorders, a lot of people engage in what are called avoidance patterns. So they may sleep excessively. They may withdraw from social situations. For some of our teenagers, they engage in substance use, right? It mm -hmm. feels better when I'm yeah. high. It feels better when I've used alcohol, for example. CBT. And what we want to transition them to gradually is to what's called active coping. So start to slowly but surely decrease that avoidance by engaging in things that are fun, <laughs> that's important, yeah. but also routine activities, you know, cleaning your room, doing the wash, uh, doing your chores around your house, and then also valued activities, which could be things like um, working on relationships, doing some volunteer work. And what we find over time is when people start to reduce that avoidance and start to engage in this act of coping, they start to notice that their mood begins to improve slowly but surely. And if there are situations that they are struggling with, we also help them with uh, problem solving. Let's find ways to resolve these situations that allows you to move forward and deal with these. And over time, if they continue to engage in this act of coping, they generally start to see their mood improve. So with both anxiety and mood disorders, Deborah, this idea of going from that avoidant 
way of responding them to them to a more active way of responding to these situations tends to lead to better mental health outcomes. And I'm going to actively thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jacoby. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I look forward to part four, which will be happening soon in our series. Rogers Behavioral Health is working each day to ensure those with mental health challenges that they have access to the highest quality of care and most effective treatment available today. To learn more about the many ways Rogers can help children, teens, families, and schools, please visit rogersbh.org today. That's rogersbh.org. I'm Deborah Howell. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day.